Um, our sermon text is from Mark 12, 38 through uh, 44. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at the banquets. They devour the widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offering were, were put and watched the crowds putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Thank you, Kristen. <clears throat> Good morning. Grace and peace to you from Father, Son, and Spirit. It is good to gather this morning in the season of uh, thankfulness and, and gratitude. And um, This is a gift just to be uh, gathered again this morning. So on your way in, we hope that uh, you were given two copper coins. Um, they look like pennies. So uh, maybe if you could raise your hand if you did not receive such coins, because we want to have those as part of the, the sermon. So if you don't have one, we have the ushers. They have some copper coins, too. Now, if you've already received two and you want two more, you've missed the point already. Um, but uh, yeah, so anyone need uh, two more coins, two more cents? That'd be great. So good. Um, this past week was a busy one for sure, and one of the many things I was blessed to be a part of was to help purchase and help make happen uh, the purchase of nine airline tickets for our future January team heading to Columbia. Uh, we have on the next slide, I think, uh, our, our delegation, our team that will be heading in January down to Columbia. And so I invite you to pray uh, for this team, these names, these people, that God would continue to just prepare our hearts and um, uh, for, for the things that we will engage with in Colombia, um, one of which obviously is, is to meet with our um, our partnering Mennonite churches on the north coast uh, near Barranquilla, uh, and then we have a unique experience this year to then also participate and serve alongside Mennonite Mission Networks uh, Eric and Kelly Fry Martin from Goshen, uh, and to assist with a youth camp um, early in January uh, in the near the city of Armenia. So. So just invite prayer for this team as we prepare for, for the trip. So airline tickets were bought, okay? which means at some point our team will have to go to the airport. That's sort of how it works. Board an airplane, you have to go to the airport. That's just the way it is, right? Now, some people don't particularly like airports. Who's, who's, who's in this category? Long lines, security, overpriced food right? <laughs> Hauling luggage around, uh, long layovers sometimes that happens. Personally, for me, I like airports. I just, I just I, I love being in airports. Uh, people from so many different places 
converging into one space, even if it's just for a little while, uh, for a short, you know, for a short period of time. I like uh, being in airports. I experience the reality of God's creativity and beauty in the many people and in the many faces. I get to see each carrying their own story, their own human experience. Uh, so it's just, it's just good. And I find that being in airports, I think airports are the best place to people watch, right? Who here uh, enjoys the art of people watching, right? I love to watch people. Now, uh, there's some of us in here that like bird watching, you know? Uh, Byron and Beulah would be, <laughs> would be two of such people. That's great. I'm not a bird watcher, but I like to watch and observe people, Okay. So um, we can often do this anywhere, you know, boredom sets in when we're in line at Target and we just begin to sort of watch people, right? We're in coffee shops, we're in restaurants, anywhere, it could be a doctor's office, anywhere where people are, are living and moving and have the, having their being, right? Yeah, often, without even realizing it, we can look at others and uh, who are sharing the space that we're in and... Uh, Sometimes unintentionally, we can just, you know, by the way someone looks, we can begin to make observations. Oh, that person looks smart, or maybe not educated, right? Or that's an interesting appearance, or someone who, it, you know, dresses in, in a very um, average way, I guess. Uh, we notice emotion, you know, when we are people watching. Uh, I think that person's having a bad day, <laughs> or I think that person's having a good day. We, um, we, and then I don't know about you, but sometimes I even start to like make up stories in my head about such person who am I, whom I've never met <laughs> because of their appearance. Does anyone else do this? I wonder what their story is like and, you know, that kind of thing. So visually speaking, the human body is a powerful, versatile, and complex communication device. Our bodies are communication devices. Uh, uh, Communication we deliver through our bodies it can be the basis for a great variety of social judgments, right? A great variety of social judgments. Well, today in our scripture, we see Jesus, the people watcher, right? Jesus, the people watcher. Jesus stops and he notices. And Jesus notices much. And I think he invites his disciples and I think he's inviting all of us to notice as well. So today we read seven verses for our scripture text. And to just look at these seven verses, um, I think it would lead to us a certain kind of understanding of, of, of the story. However, if we look at the biblical text around it, what happens before this story and what happens after the story, I think it begins to illuminate uh, what we just read. So just prior to our text this morning... There are a couple things that happened that I think are very important. So, in chapter 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time. This, is, this would be a Palm Sunday text, okay? Then Jesus curses a fig tree. That's strange, right? <laughs> Just cursing a tree. Cursing a fig tree, which would be a metaphor for the lack of fruit of the, of the religious establishment. And then he clears the temple. He overturns tables. The money changers have turned it into a den of robbers, okay? It's, not, it's no longer a house of prayer for the nations. 
And then after that, there's a discussion about paying the imperial tax to Rome. All right? Render to Caesar, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then the greatest commandment follows. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then the last verse, right before we get to our text this morning, it says this, the large crowd listened to him, that is Jesus, with delight. They listened to him with delight. Now, then we uh, have what, what uh, Kristen read for us. And then after our text, I think this is very important as well. The disciples are sort of walking out of the temple. And speaking of the temple, they stop and they make an observation. What great buildings. What massive stones. And then Jesus enters into that and says, it's all coming down. It's all coming down. The building itself and the system that it represents, it's all coming down. So our passage, I think, is illuminated by this biblical context in ways that are significant, and I'll share more on that in a minute. So on to our text. It says this. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the, the people watcher, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and in the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished severely. Jesus, the people watcher, invites his hearers, invites his followers to watch out for the teachers of the law. What does Jesus notice about the teachers of the law? Not necessarily a trick question, it's right in our text. Well, they like to walk around with long flowing robes. They like to be greeted in the marketplace. They like to be treated with honor and respect in public. They make lengthy prayers. Perhaps Jesus, even by mentioning this, is inviting us to be aware of our own insecurities and our, and our own need for affirmation, right? So Jesus, the people watcher. You know, so he notices on the outside, these teachers of the law, the scribes, they seem like important, respected men, but then Jesus begins to pull back the curtain on their lives. And these teachers of the law, the scribes, he speaks, Jesus speaks about injustice. Jesus speaks, well, they devour widows' houses. So in thinking about that, um, I came across Ched Myers, um, Binding the Strong Man. It's a commentary on the book of Mark. He says this, scribes were given charge over the estates of widows because widows, as women, were considered unable to um, manage their own finances. So, they fell, so this fell to the scribes, the legal experts. The scribes would manage the, uh, the estate for a fee, and in many cases, this led to financial abuse and even theft. They devoured widows' houses. And Jesus says, of these people, they will be punished severely. Moving on to the widow's offering, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting, watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, 
this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, putting in everything, all she had to live on. So this story, many, many times I've heard preached as maybe part of a kickoff to a capital campaign for a church to begin, you know, with a new, like adding on an addition or so on and so forth. Um, Maybe it's part of a stewardship series, as well as teaching about generosity and sacrifice, giving everything to Jesus. And in looking at the passage through the lens of stewardship, that makes sense. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that understanding or that that, uh, way of of interpreting it. It's helpful at some level. And um, I found a couple good thoughts related to that kind of reading, you know, about stewardship and about generosity. And one is from this Catholic uh, bishop, um, Fulton Sheen, who says, never measure generosity by what you give, but rather by what you have left. Ouch. I mean, that's... That's hard. And then from a, a, French, a French proverb, no one is so generous as he who has nothing to give. Okay? All right? So think about that in the context of the widow. However, I got to ask the question, is the widow's offering an example of faithful giving to God and a sacrifice for God? The answer is, yeah, it can be. That's, that's a good way to interpret good way to look at this. But maybe, maybe there's a little more going on here that I want to explore together. What if Jesus is not holding the woman up as an example of piety, but rather as an example of something else going on? I think Jesus in the story, as he calls his disciples together, he also beckons us to come to sit down opposite the treasury, okay? and to watch people with him, taking the time to notice a deeper reality. So the rich come with their large sums of money, and then he notices the poor widow. How does Jesus know that she's poor? Well, it's people watching. You just begin to, maybe it was the clothes that she was wearing. How does Jesus know that she's a widow? perhaps the absence of a husband in public. This widow, along with orphans and aliens, are from the category of the most vulnerable in society. What is Jesus noticing? What is Jesus bringing attention to? Jesus stops to notice, and perhaps without even asking any questions, he's pointing to the reality and providing a message of critique against the religious system which allows for the poorest people, a widow, to give all they have so that the system, the religious institution, can continue to exist. Despite her poverty and despite the possible humiliation that that she might have been subject to, giving all that she had, she drops the coins into the temple treasury. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. So is Jesus praising her action or just calling it out? Like just kind of a fine line. He may be. 
I don't pretend to know. But maybe another understanding would lead us to having Jesus' words as an indictment against the system that helps make and keep the poor poor. I think, the reality, I think the reality of what is happening is the energy behind which Jesus, in chapter 13, says, the system's coming down. Noticing this woman giving all that she had and the economic, the injustice there, he declares that the system's coming down. It's going to be destroyed, not one stone left on another. Is there a connection between the temple's willingness and even eagerness to accept the leftovers of the rich, as well as accepting all that the widow had to live on? Is there a connection between this injustice and the impending destruction that Jesus speaks of as we turn the page to chapter 13? Is there a connection? <clears throat> Days earlier, Jesus drives out the money, he drives out the money changers accusing them of exploiting the poor. Is this widow's offering an extension or an example of that critique? If it's all coming down, then why would churches use this as a stewardship campaign? <laughs> right? That's just interesting. Hey, let's build these massive... But if it's all coming down, it doesn't make sense. What matters most here? Maintaining the institution or caring for the most vulnerable in society? This religious system has lost its way. Lost its way. It's gone off the rails. When the story is made to be about how much you give the church, we might miss this deeper reality, this deeper thing. Maybe... This story is an invitation. Maybe the story is an invitation for the church and its people to stop focusing on some sort of magical 10% tithe, and, but rather invites people to think about the other 90% that God has given them so that we may take care of the needs of our neighbors. If it's about what we give to the church, I think we might, I think there's more going on. How is worth measured in a congregation? How is worth measured? Is it in members? In budget? In square footage of a building? Is it in young families? Or is worth found in the number of vulnerable people served? Maybe that ought to be the measure. What if a church community invited its poorest members to give less and its rich, wealthy members to give more? What might happen if stewardship sermons focused less on, how, on what we should give to the church, but rather encouraged, provided counsel, and then invited everyone to consider all of our economic decisions? Not just what we do here but all of our economic decisions as we live in the world. To wrestle with those decisions in light of the Christ who, like this widow, gave it all. So, 
I think that Jesus notices this woman, points her out, brings awareness to the disciples, and I think it breaks his heart. He notices that the system is allowing this poor widow to continue to stay in her poverty. So, in wrestling with how to kind of bring conclusion to this, I actually have two. <laughs> and you have two coins, so you see how it works out? So the first penny, I'm asking you to hold on to one penny. And just consider these things. Um, the presence of this woman could be a deeply political act. Now, it's not maybe the, the woman's intention, but by merely showing up, the widow represents an indictment, not only of the social structure, the structural injustice, but also the complacency of the onlookers. What would you do if you witnessed this? Just allow it to continue to happen? Or would you step in and do something? The complacency of the onlookers, these bystanders, they have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. This text gives us a set of questions to wrestle with. And so as you hold on to one penny, so how aware am I of the missed opportunities that I encounter with regard to structural injustice around me? And in what ways do I participate in these systems which keep the poor on the margins? So with this first penny, here's the question. What or who, what system or what person, what or who do you notice in your world and when you notice, it breaks your heart. What or who? When you notice them, or that reality, that it just truly breaks your heart. Jesus invites his disciples to notice what is actually going on. So we pause here to notice. And as things come to mind, we ask, Lord, give us eyes to see. And we ask, Jesus, what, how should I respond? How should I respond? So, penny number one. Second thing, I think it's pronounced Hafez, Hafiz, a Sufi poet from the 14th century said the, had the following prayer. God, grant me the riches of poverty, for in such largesse lies my power and glory. Now, that could be translated generosity, so let's do it again. Grant, God, grant me the riches of poverty, for in such generosity lies my power and glory. You know, given the economic demographic of our church at present, many of us probably don't see or experience the riches of poverty. Just, that's true, right? I mean, 
In her riches of poverty, the poor widow has no need for long robes. She has no need for marketplace respect. She has no need for the best seat in the house. She has no need for the appearance of holiness. For the widow, it is in the absence of these needs that a need not to have is birthed. Say that again. This widow, in the absence of these needs that most of us carry, right, the need for long robes, not that we dress in long robes, but, you know, clothes that say something, she has no need for that. She has no need for marketplace respect. She has no need, no need, no, she has no need for best seat in the house. It is in the absence of that need that a need not to have is born. Because what she does doesn't make sense. Why would she give all of it? She gives her last two coins. She has no abundance, only the riches of poverty. The riches of poverty is realized not from acquiring, but from letting go. Letting go. Authentic spirituality is the same action of letting go. She lets go. Letting go of appearance, letting go of status, letting go of comparison, letting go of expectation, letting go of the need for power, letting go of the need for control, letting go of the need to be right. And if we do this regularly, it feels like letting go of ourselves. This widow lets it all go. All she had. I think this widow is the teacher and we are the students. This poor widow has let it go and experiences the riches of poverty. And I think in the face of the widow, Jesus sees and recognizes himself. In the face of the widow, I think Jesus, as he watches her, sees and recognizes himself. What we see in the widow will eventually be true of Jesus. Jesus lets go of himself, and he takes on the cross. You have to let go. So with the second penny, what is the crucified Christ inviting me to let go of? She lets go. Appearance, status, comparison, the need for power, she lets it all go.
Jesus does the same with his life. So let's reflect on this um, for another minute or so. And then um, as the response song is, is coming, so I just invite you um, to do, to come forward. And um, we have this, uh, the Columbia can up here. And as you come forward with the first penny, maybe it's, it's a continual prayer of the what or the who that you notice. And it breaks your heart. A prayer and asking God to help you to respond to that. Now, so you'll have, you'll have a second coin. And in that coin, you're like, I'm letting go of this. I'm letting go. I'm letting go.
Mm-hmm. 